So Christmas shopping yeah. has been both a success and a failure. I'm, I'm in the same place. Well, well, I say that. Basically, uh, the other day I went into a shop to get something for my brother and left with something for me. Oh, yeah, that, that, that happens. You know the story. Yep, classic. You know, it's that old story. You go into a shop to get your brother something My Hero Academia related, and you leave with a 1998 Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie pinball machine. It's the oldest Christmas story in the book. Older than the Bible. I just love that your life leads you to going into the kind of business that would sell both My Hero Academia <laughs> merch and that pinball machine. Right? Like, I don't know of any shop cool enough I could walk into where those were both options available to me. Yeah. Oh, you've got to go to Sunny Dewsbury. We've talked about Dewsbury on the podcast before. That's where the rebirth to babies were. And all the other just ridiculous shit that goes on in Dewsbury. But yeah, there's this comic book, it's like, yeah, sort of comics and toys shop in Dewsbury, uh, which the name of which I cannot remember right now. And it's got the best stuff in it. I got those Mad Bulls, um, the Mad Bulls popping head figures from there. And I went in there because I figured there'd be some anime shit. And my brother likes anime shit. Um, found a really good thing there. They got Warhammer stuff. So I was able to get something for someone else. Went upstairs where all like the old toys are and found obscure stuff that I remember seeing as a kid, but I don't even know what it is. Like skeletons that turn into eggs using their own rib cages. Brilliant. And they had up there like these like small slot machines about the size of a, uh, maybe like a, a, an old tube television a Gamera slot machine and something else. And that caught my eye and I asked the man about it. And I was very excited about that. That quickly disappeared from my mind as I was leaving the shop. Somehow I walked past this and I've been in that shop more than once. And I've managed to every single time realize that what I walked past was not a countertop, but a full-size pinball machine based on the 1998 Matthew Broderick classic Godzilla and asked the man about it. Like he saw, he watched me just slow my roll as I was ready to make my other purchases and my eyes just dart. And I looked at Phoenix and Phoenix realized what had happened. And the man turned it on and I heard Matthew Broderick's rich Christmas puddingy voice and it, it worked and it was brilliant. And it was, here's the kicker, it was the exact, and I mean exact, same amount of money I got for writing for Vampire Survivors. And I explicitly did not want that Vampire Survivors money to go where all of my other money goes, into taxes and unforeseen debt bullshit. So I made a call. At which point Fee made a call to their parents because their dad's got a flatbed. And the first thing Fee said was, Dad, it happened again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's right, yeah. So that's what living with me is like. It happened again. Look, I'm going to stand behind you on this in that I am a big believer that if you do a, a cool, unexpected work thing that's like, this is a, this is a cool thing I did that, that is like a little life moment, 
spend spend that shit on something that's fun for you that is not like you you've got to have the thing where it's like I have this because I did a cool thing. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted. And in fairness, Fee has been incredibly supportive, which is good because I've been in uh, other relationships where I was made to feel very guilty about sort of treating myself and having access to my own money. So yeah, he's always been very good about that and encouraging me to not feel like I have to apologise to them for spending my money. So he was very excited for me, actually. We've just got to arrange getting it from the shop. Um, I reckon I'm going to replace the tat shelf behind me uh, with uh, that and the other pinball machine I got, if it'll fit. So my stream background will have them in the background and it'll look awesome. And then it's a write-off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything I buy in that realm is useful. Yep. From a work perspective. So that it does help. But yeah, it was a nice sort of, it was a nice way of, of transforming the, the money so that it didn't get lost. Because I am very good at getting manipulated into losing money. But I can't lose a Godzilla pinball machine. It's too big. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to misplace that at the behind the couch, am I? It'd be tricky. It'd be tricky. It speaks with Matthew Broderick's salty voice. So yeah, that's been good. I've got everyone sorted for Christmas now. I reckon it's the first year in uh, about fifteen years that I'm seeing my um, blood relatives for Christmas. Oh wow! I'm doing a hosting Christmas, which is actually the first time ever hosting Christmas here, Christmas Day because I've got my tag team partner Priscilla coming over and our mutual friend Echo. Oh. So just going to have a nice little gay Christmas day. Then I'm heading down south uh, to spend time with the family. I don't know what they do at Christmas now that my grandparents have passed, so that's going to be interesting. I'm guessing they're going to drink and watch TV, which I'm fine with. <laughs> and that's my Christmas plans. Uh, I, I what what about you two? What uh, got any anything planned for the Yule time? Ah, uh, my plans boil down to not work, have some sleep, do some not work. That is brilliant. That is the best plan. Right, that's 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 the plan. I'm looking forward to. Uh, so so far the plans include eat a lot of food, maybe play some D and D with with some friends that that I sometimes see for uh, for, for for board gamey things. And do a lot of nothing. Just a lot of nothing. Yeah, I can respect that. Uh, Lord knows you work so hard the rest of the year that you doing nothing is the best idea I've heard for you. I don't do it often, but the last couple of years since I'm since I moved in with Jane, I've tried to be good about like festive period, have a couple of weeks where there is as little work as possible. Yeah. And then you know, inevitably 2023 will arrive and I will just hit the ground running and go, work, 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 work. But, like, there'll be a little bit of time where I stopped, kind of. Yeah. God, that sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the rest of my year is just, like, I have so much shit to get done before the year ends. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but we're going to go visit Linda's family for for Christmas. We'll head up at the end of the week here and spend a couple days, and that'll be pleasant. It's it's a lot of fun, and, and her mom really, like, cooks, so that's good. I will just wind up with terrible heartburn and quite pleased with myself. 
actually, I had a, I'm having I'm having a great morning. Yeah. This morning, I'm having a really great morning. I got up, and uh, in my my routine is I I get up, I use the toilet, I start the coffee. Yeah. Uh, then I have a cigarette. Um, oh, Grant, uh, uh, Tater gets fed. Tater gets fed before the coffee. Tater gets fed. I start the coffee. I go have a cigarette. I come back in. I wash up the dishes, empty or clean his, clean his box, and then, you know, begin my work day. Uh, because by that point, the coffee's usually done. And so I am preparing the coffee today, and I have the carafe sat on the side of the sink and the water running into the carafe as I'm filling the, the drip coffee maker with a coffee filter and grounds when I hear a crash behind me and it's my carafe for my coffee maker has fallen into the sink and shattered. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Yep. Yep. No. It's a great morning. It's a great morning. You know why it's a great morning? Mm-hmm. Because three years ago when we bought this replacement coffee maker, which was exactly the same style as the last coffee maker that just had the, you know heating element burn out on it yeah my ex-wife said to me do we need to keep this old carafe <gasps> and i said yes yes we do we're going to continue to use the old carafe and we're going to keep the new carafe in this drawer as a spare for when we inevitably break the carafe and she thought i was nuts but you know what i have coffee this morning payback Oh, that's brilliant. Nothing like long-term vindication. Well, the, yes, that's it exactly. The best, you know, it's, I don't mind that I had to clean up the, the bits of broken glass out of my sink because I was right. You were right. <laughs> There's a lot I would go through to prove I'm right. A lot. There's a lot I would go through, uh, if I was right about everything that I thought, and it would be very, very bad. And I am right a lot. <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my morning. Um, should we talk about video games? Yeah. I mean, probably. It, it has been 11 minutes, so I feel, feel like we did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm. I haven't even been like shepherding us into doing the talking because I'm just. I'm. 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 It's end of the year. That's right. You don't want to work. You're doing nothing. I've. I've run out of shepherding energy. Who's played something this week? Who's. Who's done it? I think we all. We all finished high on life, which is unusual for. I found a box that makes a Zelda noise. <laughs> yeah. By accident. Yeah. <laughs> I've had it for years. How old is Hyrule Warriors, the original? On Wii U. Uh, oh, the... the uh, oh, gosh. Tw- like, it's got to be, what, 2015? Yeah, it's got to be six, seven, eight years. Somewhere in that range. I've, I've had a box that looks... A replica Zelda treasure chest from Hyrule Warriors <laughs> that opens and it makes the noise. It makes that noise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had it for about six or seven years. And you've never opened it to make the noise? Well, I bought this Hyrule Warriors treasure box. It's a thing Tecmo Koei do, where it's just got the game and... like it's, it's basically a collector's edition, but it's got all sorts of, like, random crap in it. Right. And I got it because it has... Um, Link wears a scarf in Hyrule Warriors. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. This really fetching blue scarf. And I got it for that predominantly. And I think maybe at the time I registered, there was some box in it. But I never paid much attention to it until not too long ago. Like last week, I was playing, uh, I, was, I was on stream and going through some collector stuff. And I was like telling everyone, oh, I've got this scarf. So I dug out the box, brought it over, got out the scarf, then saw this and opened it up. And I was like, there is something in here that looks like a battery compartment. And it had the little plastic tab in it. And I pulled the tab and it started going. It's been in there for nearly like seven years about. And it works. So I've just checked the maths. It's eight years. Eight years. Eight years ago the original game came out. Eight (laughs) years I've had this sat in there and it, it works perfectly. Sorry to derail it, but I just I caught it out the side of my eye, and I'm like, oh, I've got to mention this. <laughs> it's a little Chris. It's a Christmas miracle, and right? I think we can all appreciate just a complete surprise and a out of nowhere and surprisingly lengthy story falls <laughs> right in to the general you know overall feel of of high on life. Oh yeah, I did not expect myself to play this until it until the end. I thought I would fall off before finishing it. Yes, I also thought I would fall off before finishing it. I also thought the ending might be a little bit less abrupt, but oh, the ending is so shit. Yeah, it's not just abrupt; it's shit. Are you aware there is more than one ending to it? I did not know, but that doesn't surprise me. I've been made I've been made aware there is an entirely separate ending yeah. that is a little more lengthy. Oh, I ain't gonna play anymore to find it. No, there is a hidden secret ending that changes what the ending is, and I'm not gonna say it's better or that it explains anything. But there is an ending that definitely has a different amount of context. I mean, the last level in general is shit. Like, it's, I mean, first of all, it's the same as the rest of the game. And then the final boss is, like, the bosses are all samey throughout. Yes. And then the final boss is basically, like, it just does shit the other bosses do. Um, but slightly more bullet heavy. Yeah, I, I did not care for, I did not care for that boss really at all. Like, I, I. Uh, it it wasn't even that it was hard. It was just annoying more than anything else. Yeah, it's irritating. The one preceding it with the three that stack, I, I also found to be really bad, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Because of, of the, the build-up to it. Oh, that one, yeah. Hmm. You know, the, the, first, the first encounter you have, and he just does that pound thing cussing, and you're like, oh, God. This is just tedious. Mm-hmm. You have one move. This this enemy has one move, and it's obvious it's because he's part of a larger whole boss, and you're going to make me fight each of these moves? Mm-hmm. God damn it. So, see, now, this conversation that we're having is making me, like, actually think about the thing that I did instead of just being stoned <laughs> and watching the pretty colors and yeah. jokes. But... I will say, in the defense of that last level, it does have the one laugh-out-loud moment in this game for me. Yeah? Yeah. The two people that you love most. Oh, yeah. That was... It was okay, yeah. That was okay, Goof. I did not see it coming. I I had a full other conception in my head. Yeah. Because of how predictable and... Yeah. Predictable's the word I'm looking for for this plot 
And when that happened and they had it and, and, you know, and the people involved did their thing and it's those people because one of them, one of them makes absolute sense to me. Yeah. Yes. The other one, the other one. The other one really is out of left field. Yeah. And it is, and it's DTF. Don't get me wrong. I know that they will do something fun for the sake of doing something fun. But they're not the one you think of when you're thinking of a person who would do that. Absolutely not. High on life, the way we've talked about high on life last week compared to this one, is very interesting to me as a game reviewer. And predominantly a game reviewer that has had to deal with very angry fans that get very annoyed about video game reviews for a long time. Sure. One of the biggest things that gamers like to do to undermine a review they don't like is to uh, find out how much the reviewer played and whether the reviewer finished it. Yeah. yeah. This is a big debate. I've been very sort of stuck to my guns for a long, long time that I do not believe. Um, you have to explicitly beat a game to be able to review it. Yep. Um, you know, if you eat a sandwich full of shit, you don't have to munch down to the very last bite to know you're eating a shit sandwich. As someone who wrote a review for Polygon uh, of a VR game in which I acknowledge I did not complete that game because it made multiple people in the same household too violently ill to even play it by passing the headset back and forth. Like, okay, when one person gets ill, you pass it to the next so you can have a break. Couldn't even get through it that way. You don't have to finish a game to review it. No. And they only ever get annoyed, of course over this idea if the review is negative. Yes. For example, I believe it was IGN that admitted that Final Fantasy XIII, when they reviewed it quite positively, they never played the third disc because it didn't work. Yeah. Fair enough, but no one was annoyed at them. Meanwhile, I say I got to the last boss, got pissed off and stopped, and I'm in the shit uh, for not completing games. And here's where it's just so completely backwards and such a stupid thing, uh, and can kind of evidence that they are just reaching to discredit it because they're too much, um, they're, they're too big uh, a bunch of intellectual cowards to admit and accept that someone just doesn't see the world they see. You compare the way I spoke about High on Life last week compared to my review of it and the sort of tone of my voice as we talk about it now. If you play a bad game for hours, What makes you think that more of the same is going to make you like it more? That's high on life. And that is so many other games I've played where sometimes I'm like, maybe I should stop now just to be fair to the game because my opinion is going to get lower even though the game's staying the same. I'm going to resent this game for having to play through to the end of it. I am going to get more annoyed than perhaps is even fair on the game if I have to keep exposing myself to these same issues that are driving me up the fucking wall. I do not... Not only do you have not have to beat a game to be able to review it negatively, I actively believe it works against the game to resentfully, under duress, plough your way through, and it works... It's exactly the opposite of what the gamers TM should actually be arguing. So I feel a little differently about High on Life in how when when I say that like I'm surprised I finished it, 
it's not that I go, I, I, I resent that game, or that the more time I put into it, the more I dislike it. The way I kind of feel about it is, I constantly expected, like, on paper, I would say, the joke is very one note and it doesn't go anywhere, and I expected that to be enough of a problem that I would put it down, and then I kept... I just kept sticking with it. And I was talking, I was trying to talk to Jane last night about what this game was doing for me. And I think she put it really well where she she was like, back in the day, she used to do a thing where she would play a bunch of different kinds of nondescript noise overlapping each other. So like white noise, some sort of like some static, some rain noise, lots and lots of different sensory inputs over each other. And there's no way you can be paying attention to all of them at once. It's an ADHD thing. You just need the stimulation. Yeah, I do the same sometimes. Yeah, it's the ADHD thing. It's it's that like I am seeking just so much input that my brain kind of short circuits and I stop thinking. And that's kind of what I have have found myself enjoying out of this game is that like I, I I try and compare this to like other stuff that I've I've recently gone through and like season one of the animated Star Trek show Lower Decks felt very similar to High on Life in that it's we're going to throw so many things at you with so little breathing room that your brain just stops trying to th- critically think and as someone who does criticism as a job and genuinely has reached a point where, like, I can't uncritically enjoy things the way I used to. High on Life is the kind of game that throws so much stuff at me that, at least while I'm playing it, my brain isn't in critic mode. And afterwards I stop and go, yeah, yeah, no, that wasn't good. But at the time I was just like, yeah, the, the sensory input, yeah, I'm having a great, I'm having a good time with a lot a lot is happening at me. And there's there's something to be said for that. Because from my perspective, while I can certainly acknowledge that lots of other games do a lot of the things that High on Life does but better, you know, like the... I, I like the movement in High on Life, generally speaking. especially really? the Especially the aerial movement. Mm. Huh. I like that the swing feels to me like it has an adequate amount of control. Nothing is too fast for me. Right. Because if it's too fast, then I'll flail. So I feel like I am in control when I'm doing these things. And while I I recognize that there absolutely have to be games that do this better, I haven't played those. And I, you know, and I likely never will because I'm not necessarily a big first person shooter fan. And so I think that one thing that this game can suffer from also is a lot of exposure to a lot of the other games that it's cribbing from. Yeah. Mm. I, I know that the, the health restoration mechanic is a doom rip, right? Yeah. You know? With the executions and you get it back. Now, what I like is the inversion of the health and shield mechanic, which is not something I have personally seen some in, in another FPS. I'm sure it's been done. But I think it's interesting that it's your health that is on the regen, but your shield is the thing that you have to pick up more of. I don't know. I kind of I, I think it makes combat interesting in a way that 
I'm so used to, oh, okay, well, great. Now I'm screwed because my health is has gone down and I, I'm waiting for my shield. For some reason, it makes me think of it in a different context when it's the shield that I'm picking up and goes away in, in segments. Yeah, I can see that. I can see the, the perspective shift, just how it changes priorities. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I know I've seen it before. I'm almost certain. I'm sure it's been done before. But here's where both the things you've brought up sort of feed into what finally turned my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I, I talk about it a lot in the review I wrote. Because, you know, a, a lot of people talk about just the sheer flurry of, of sensory input it throws at you, just the obnoxiousness, the noise, the shouting, the screaming. And then you, Conrad, talk about the 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 lack of originality or the fact that other games have done it better. What really finally turned it for me was when I realised just how much the first thing was covering for the second thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The game, and, and not just insofar as it's yelling jokes at you so you don't notice how unoriginal it is. It's the fact that the jokes <laughs> the and joke? what the jokes are about. You mean the joke? Yeah. Well, it makes you think. It inadvertently, on, on their part, makes you think about what isn't there because it keeps referencing what isn't there. Yes. I mentioned in my review my favourite joke in the game. And I'll I'll quickly go over it here. My favourite joke in the game is the penultimate boss mentions switching controller ports to beat him. Yeah. And then says, oh, controller ports aren't a thing anymore. That's my favourite joke. I think I know what you're going to say next, though. It didn't make me laugh. It's not funny. But here's why it's my favourite joke. Because that explicitly framed what my problem with high on life is because what it did was reference it didn't do anything interesting with the medium of video games but it referenced a game that did Mm -hmm. it pointed at another game and said do you remember when that broke the fourth wall do you remember when that acknowledged it was a game and did so in a way that explicitly messed with you as a player not only did it encapsulate how High on Life talks about other games doing things that it itself never does? The joke itself was done by Metal Gear Solid 4 when it recreated and recontextualized the Psychomantis fight in a new, interesting way. <laughs> it, it failed, it made a joke about its own failure to do something another game did. And the joke itself wasn't original, having been taken from a later game in that series during a boss fight where that sequel game did something new. And that's the problem with High on Life. It has no ideas of its own, but it wishes it did. And it points out all the other games that had the ideas it wished it had. It doesn't stop there, though, Steph. It doesn't end there because then it has to do the High on Life thing which is in the next segment of that boss fight where you are fighting it, it makes another Psycho Mantis joke. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that as well. Yeah. Because it can't, it can't just make the joke. It has to make yeah. the joke dead. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it, it, you know what it is? It doesn't want anybody else to have its jokes, so it's murdering them all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's its own issue. 
just to, to focus just a little bit more on, on sort of the crux of, of what I'm getting at, it's this game has no ideas. It has none. It's not just about that game did something better. This game has nothing. And it doesn't even have enough stolen ideas. You've got four guns, not counting what you get in the final mission. Yeah. And they are boring. They're not like wacky, fantastical alien weapons. The closest one gets is the Glove of Doom from Ratchet and Clank. Which, uh, you know what? Creature is the best. Uh, yes, he's the best. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not just talking about in terms of function. Fuck his function. I wouldn't actually want to use any of these guns except for Kenny, unfortunately. And Kenny is annoying as fuck. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. And, 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 and third act, Kenny is kind of satisfying. Yeah. It's kind of satisfying, Kenny, in the third act, because you've been walking around with fucking Kenny for the first two. Oh, that's the thing. You spend hours oh, yeah. with a mm-hmm. pistol. Yeah. With a plinky-plonky pistol. But it is still the most effective weapon in the game because it's yeah. got, you know, a little bit of aim assist. It's got aim assist so it can actually hit the tiny little things that skitter about. The second gun you get is the worst gun from Halo. <laughs> Not even a good one. It's the Needler. And that's got the highest damage output, but it's got no accuracy. And it doesn't even seek the way the Needler does. No. I mean, the, now we're getting into the it does stuff worse, which, yeah, we, we should touch on more. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, just trying to encapsulate that thing um, of, of it's, it's so bereft and it promises so much. And the promise... You know, you can't necessarily review a game based on what it's not. You have to review what it is. Sure. But this game sets you up and sets itself up for a fall. Because once you strip away the noise it makes, you realize how much that noise is covering for the lack of ideas. Oh, entirely. Entirely it is. Yeah. What if we we had like a somewhat polished presentation on a thing that was very rushed and we just get, get we just put someone yeah. in a voice booth so you don't notice how much we're papering over and when so much of that noise is about the video game knowing it's a video game it has to do something with that knowledge it can't just keep saying it's a video game because by the end of it you sit there wondering well if you know you're a video game why are you doing nothing with that fact why are you not surprising me it breaks the fourth wall but we have had years of games like metal gear solid like near games that actually use the fact they're interactive entertainment to entertain interactively and the when the most fun I have with High on Life is sitting on a couch watching Tammy and the T-Rex. I think that also is a perfect encapsulation of the problem. You are there like you're playing the first Homefront game. Your job is to watch it, listen to it, not engage with it. There's not enough to engage with. Most of the NPCs stand there statically. You don't have fun interactions with that game. You have fun listening experiences. I will argue that it has one thing that it it wants to be a video game in one explicit way and one way only, which is 
Ooh, ooh, this is rude and dirty. You're gonna be complicit because you're gonna have to interact with it. Ooh. Like, I'm very specifically thinking of the connect the pipes between these two 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 gentlemen that exist. Scene, it it's the Ooh, 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 we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna You're gonna have to do it though. Oh, you're gonna have to do it. We're not just gonna you're gonna have to do it though. Like <laughs> That's that's all it thinks that video games should be is oh you're gonna have to do the thing oh interestingly you you still com- uh, talked about how it compound the issue there because yeah what you said when you did the impression of the game was we're gonna talk about it that's what it does it talks about it well that's that's what I mean is when when I say like it, it when I say that I am being a little hyperbolic in that it is it is still we're going to talk about a thing at you and talk and talk and talk. And your only interaction is so that we can go. Oh, I can't believe you—you you are present for for us to the thing we talked about. Yeah, like that's that's the extent of it. Yeah, like I, you know, obviously, if it wants you to pull the trigger on a character so that it can go, ha ha, you pulled the trigger. Yes, you do need that yeah. level of interaction. But I mean, that's no different from the everything else you do in the game. You're you're. You're a passive observer that occasionally shoots stuff. And and then again, it's no different from from. I keep thinking about Trover Saves the Universe, the last big um uh um Justin Roiland game. Yeah, that had less gameplay, but it was still fundamentally your interactions with the world are. We're gonna talk about a thing, and we're gonna like we're gonna suggest you shouldn't do it, or you th- mm, you should know not to do it. It's bad. Oh, you did it. Oh, like that's. That's the relationship you have with the video game is you have no choice but to do the thing. Ooh, we acknowledge that you did the thing. Anyway, back to talking. Yeah. I think the easiest way to sort of illustrate the kind of thing, a kind of game that you are describing is like just the sheer amount of stuff that's on a screen talking at you there is in this game. Oh my god. You know? Yes. And um and not a lot of it is um Good. I had an NPC yell at me and yell at someone else at the same time. It just played both audio files. It's what if what if a whole game wanted to be that one moment from the Stanley Parable that only worked because it was a one-off of will you stick around with this baby and this button for ages to see what happens? What if it was a whole game of stick around at the one thing for ages and then we'll go oh you you did it for ages and i think one of the main issues is there's no reward for really doing that and the game sets itself up like i say for a fall in that when you first start playing it it indulges in so much meta humor and teases you with so much you're gonna do something wacky and it's gonna make something happen you think that's gonna be the game yeah and then it just isn't it does that trick that you bring up, Laura, like maybe three times. Yeah, yeah. You listen to them natter, you pull a trigger or two, and then the game says, oh, I can't believe you did that. And you expect so much more, right down to you expect interesting alien weaponry from, you know, Solar op- Opposites writer Justin Roiland. You'd expect something a little more out of left field than a pistol, a shotgun, the needler and the glove of doom. We live in a world where Saints Row 4 existed with the dubstep gun yeah. and the previous... It's, it's like, in a world where that exists, you have to... You have to go quite far to be seen doing a wacky weapon. And being someone like a Justin Roiland, 
the expectations of what you will come up with as an exaggerated over-the-top nonsense thing are higher than they would be for other games, I think. Yeah, and and to not just try that and fail, but to not try at all mm. is pretty stunning to me. To not try, to just be like, here is a shotgun, it talks, that's enough, that makes it different, which it doesn't, because talking guns aren't even original. Yeah, I can name a game I played two months ago that made a joke out of a talking gun, Tales from the Borderlands. Mm -hmm. That had a whole running theme of, here is one pistol that talks at you, that is a recurring character. Like, it's not even original this year. No, and then you add that to everything else that where, where this game makes you think that it's going to be big and interesting. It sets you up to hunt down members of this cartel across the galaxy. There are two planets, not counting the hub world. There are two, and you keep going back, and they are small. That universe is so tiny. I don't mind that. I like that. I, I always appreciate an economical use of geography in a video game. I am not bothered by two planets. Hey, that's fine. I am, and I'm not bothered by that in every game I play. I'm bothered by that in this game. This game that doesn't give you any more than four guns until the final mission. This game that promises, throws all this meta humour at you, but actually performs no meta action on its own part. This game that promises a galaxy-spanning adventure. Not only gives you two planets, but all the NPCs are basically the same alien. Like, it's... The sheer lack of imagination is what truly gets me here. And I can understand being frustrated by that. I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge, I mean, I acknowledge every single one of the faults discussed here as being not, not only valid, but very present. Like, I dispute yeah. none of it. That said, I did not give a shit about any of those problems while I was playing it? This is what I was trying to get at, is like, critical brain right now, all of these are valid criticisms that I acknowledge and are things that, that, that should have been better. At the time I was playing it, I didn't care. And I, I honestly still don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably going to, before you know New Year's, boot High on Life back up, despite having finished it, because now I am a little bit curious about the second ending, but also, I just kind of want to go around and get those chests I missed. I like the movement mechanics. I like... I know, one of the weird things about this game that I, I appreciated a lot is how... Uh, and, and, and I think this is also why I am not as upset about these things as perhaps Steph is. Mm is that the game told me through its progression that it was not it was going to undermine itself throughout this entire process and it does so in such a fundamental way at 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 such an early point in the game that um I couldn't take anything else it was going to do seriously anyway and that's the jetpack mm. and I, I'm grateful I'm appreciative of the jetpack and when it arrives. It is very interesting. Now, the structure of the game is such that at the start, you get to choose between two bounties, and which bounty you choose determines whether or not you get Sweezy next or Gus, right? Now, 
if you get Sweezy, Sweezy's ability is Time Portal, right? And, you know, you won't really... You won't need to use it in the the Gus mission, but you will have it available. And when you see that one thing, that one fan in the Gus area that you can access, it'll be like, oh, I can deal with that already. But conversely, if you got Gus first, you would immediately see walls that you could use Gus on in the other place. Now, because I didn't get Gus first... I saw those walls and I'm like, well, I'm going to get something to deal with that eventually. But I was seeing them all over the place and they were sticking in the back of my mind as a little annoyance, right? And then I get Gus and it's like, oh, okay, I can go back and revisit all of those things. But then I go back home and I wind up with a quest to go get a jetpack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the jetpack renders Gus useless outside of one or two places mm -hmm. in the later game where you need to use Gus specifically because your jetpack even at its most upgraded wouldn't reach the height that you need to or the distance that you need to get to where you need to go you're done with Gus which is a shame because Gus is of the three that you get before creature the most pleasant to, to listen to. He's very tolerable. Yes. But I, I tell you what also makes, because I knew exactly what you were going to say, that the jetpack outclass is that. What makes that even worse is he's the shittest shotgun I've played with in a long time. Yeah. He has all yeah. of the drawbacks of a video game shotgun, but none of the advantages. He's got the low ammo capacity and the low rate of fire, but he's also got a really low spread and low damage and the one and the suction thing he does is also useless because it has a sort of it, it's got weird floaty physics yeah it doesn't pull enemies in front of you sharply it lassoes them and whips them so they go behind you and get a free shot at your fucking back the one useful thing gus has going for him is the ability to create platforms with his sword <laughs> blades to embed in those yes, holes yes exactly you get the jetpack and the one useful thing he does becomes obsolete. Immediately. Mm -hmm. That possibly is the worst shotgun I've ever seen in a first-person shooter. Possibly. I won't say definitely, but he's up there. Mm. But when that happened, and when the game just basically empowered me to access everything in the two environments that it had exposed me to, pretty much, uh, I was like, oh, all right, well, they fucked up. Yeah, I'm just going to take this ride as, as long as it entertains me. And it managed to entertain me through to the end. Yeah, I think I touched on this uh, with the jetpack just quickly. I do wish that the jetpack was foretold outside of a throwaway line you get at the end of a boss fight that I personally missed. And that the game didn't communicate for hours beforehand that if you don't see a visible thing like a glowing wall you can explore and platform your way up to reach a chest. Because when I got the jetpack and realised that I'd spent 20 minutes trying to climb up a fucking building that had no way to get up it without it, I can't say I was thrilled. <laughs> if only I had four talking guns that comment on everything I fucking do that could have mentioned it. I mean, look, we, we, we said this last week. It, if those guns would just fucking tell you you can't do this, stop trying. They tell me everything else. <laughs> I feel like, and this, because I, I, I think it was a quest to get the jetpack or there was something like, because it was pretty explicit to me that that's what I needed to do next when that came up. 
Yeah, no, but I encountered unreachable chests. Oh, well, yeah. Way before I got that, and I'd already been taught by the game that I could platform my way up to chests if I don't see something obvious, like a glowing wall. There's no visual differentiator outside of trial and error uh, and spending a long time on it. There's no indicator which chests you can get right now and which ones you need a jetpack for. A jetpack you might not know is coming because it hints at it in a throwaway line among all the other noise. So just my advice to anyone playing the game is like, don't bother. Don't bother getting chests unless you've got the gun that it's obvious you use for it. Yeah, oh yeah. Or you get the jetpack. Just don't fucking bother. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, that was that was the sort of my take on it. Was even though that I knew you could jump up to reach some stuff, if there was a you know something that was clearly an indicator, like a vertical wall that would ultimately be for Gus or or one of those other. Uh, I like the mag boots. I thought that's I that thought that worked perfectly fine. Um oh, okay, here's the other thing I liked. And this is not something that I I normally even um uh compliment in games because I I have a long running uh complaint about game writing and to be clear, taken as a whole, the writing in this game is dog shit. Yeah. But I really enjoy the domestic drama with Lizzie and Jean and Tweak. Mm. I was very invested in the well-being of my sister being launched into this strange new universe. Yeah. I was very concerned about her relationship with Tweak, but supportive. Uh, I love how supportive Lizzie is of us. That stuff I enjoyed, and I was there for it. I wanted to be... I am annoyed, however, because... Sorry, I, I have to say this because this is an interruption, and it, it makes sense that it's an interruption because I keep getting interrupted by the Xbox app on my computer now uh, with an achievement notification from this game that says, points, you've got points. I've gotten it three times today alone. It just happened. What? I cannot dismiss it. It will not stop happening. I don't recall that weird huh i've gotten it like four times while playing the game anyway go ahead no i was just gonna say like i um wish i could have enjoyed that because i do i see what you mean like i i quite like in moderation the humor of solar opposites writer justin roiland but you know i mean the main problem is it's a 15 hour game and it's too much of him but i i i do agree i like the sister character and I wanted to be supportive of her, except the uh, game ignored my choices and acted like I made the opposite choices. Oh. Like, I supported my sister, and then she starts chewing me out for supporting Jean, while Jean's like, thanks for having my back. And I'm like, what the fuck? There's quite a few glitches in this game. Hmm. The thing that frustrates me is that Justin Roiland is capable of writing things that I genuinely care about emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I, I think back to, for all of its problems, and there are definitely criticisms to be had of it, I really think that there is a lot of really good writing in Community, for example. And Community is one of those shows that I go back and look at and go, Justin Roiland is really capable, and I just wish the balance of the kinds of writing he does would be a little less all on this one end. Because he is capable of writing stuff that I find really engaging. 
and that's often not what he is invested in doing anymore. Well, I think, you know, it's always worth remembering that he, a lot of his best work was with a team. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about this last week. He's a writer that very much feels like he needs editors. And, like, I I was thinking about this the other day. We've reached a point where I don't think he'll ever have an editor again. Because... Community was him working with a team. Oh, Dan Harmon was community. Yeah, you're thinking, yes, I was going to say, I was, I was looking that up. And Dan Harmon, I think, deserves a lot of credit for why Rick and Morty is good. Why Rick and Morty is as good as it is. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I was... Yeah, no, you, no you're you're right. Sorry, I had a moment there. <laughs> it's okay, no. So, I, it's I, end of the year, I'm, 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 I get a pass. <laughs> Solar Opposites writer Justin Roiland is yeah. very good with Dan Harmon. Yeah. Yes. Dan Harmon doesn't necessarily uh, need uh, Solar Opposites writer Justin Roiland to get the most out of his work. No. Uh, although both of them sort of benefit from team-based writing. Yeah. But those two together, very good. Roy, uh, Roiland on his own. Yeah. Eh, spotty. Yes. He he is a he is a useful tool in a writing team, and because he has been successful just doing the 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 Rick and Morty thing. That is all he is ever going to be asked to do, I suspect, from now on, is the Rick and Morty thing. I will also say, in general, uh, the voice cast that is not Justin Roiland, which, you know, is... there are They are well cast. They are good performances from talented performers. Um, I mean, they're all, you know, known entities. This isn't uh, some... Uh, opportunity for additional people. These are celebrities doing voices, but they're well done. The voice acting outside of Roiland's two voices in varieties of pitches are uh, quite good, and I like them. Yeah. Yeah. But on the whole, I mean, I don't, like I say, I don't disagree with anything that's been, been said. I've still had fun with it and will probably continue to have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. I, I walk away from it going, I'm glad I played this game from start to finish, which is more than I expected. I didn't expect to go, yeah, I'm glad I played this whole video game. I almost never finish a game. It did not deserve this level of discussion. And yet, here we are. I mean, it was good discussion. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, well, I do think there's a lot to talk about. It's maybe it's not deserving of it, but it has provided us with a great opportunity to sort of examine how this can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like nearly an hour in and we've talked about High on Life. I, I don't have a huge amount to say about this, but if either of you, uh, I know, Steph, you've you've done so. Uh, Conrad, have you played any of the Vampire Survivors DLC that came out? I have not. I really like, uh, what it, what is it called? It's Moon Moonspell? Moonspell. Moonspell. Yeah, Japanese sort of, I, I'm guessing sort of... Um... Uh, what is it? Sengoku era. Yeah. So here, here's how I would pitch this DLC to you, Conrad. Is I saw this advertised as one additional map and some characters and items, and like it was described as like the biggest map Vampire Survivors has had. But in my head, when I hear additional Vampire Survivors map, what I hear is it might be a big area, but it is going to be another. This is an endlessly scrolling tile set that the enemies you are fighting is entirely dependent on where you are in the timer, etc. 
This is a fundamentally different kind of level for Vampire Survivors, and it feels like it's doing something very different in that it is one large environment that, rather than being endlessly repeating, has different zones and different areas, and different places you go will have different enemy types, for example. There are buildings that are enterable, um, that take you to other sort of interior locations, all mixed in with a big map that seems purpose-designed for facilitating playing around with the new item combinations, because a lot of the things you need for the new evolution upgrades are available to find as pickups in the new area. I would say that it is probably balanced to be more difficult than I would say a lot of other levels so far in Vampire Survivors had been, even if you have a very good build that by the end will be very strong, because I feel like it is balanced in such a way that you are getting more pressure put on you more quickly before you have a chance to start building up the good build. And together, I have really enjoyed that combination. I think it is, it is for a couple of quid, a really nice little dose of some more stuff for Vampire Survivors. Nice. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you on that. It's very, uh, very robust, as one might expect for a game that had so many free updates. Um, for them to sort of put out something you pay for, uh, they they put the extra spit and shine on it. I like the new characters. Um, I'm not sure if I've got all of them, but I've picked up a fair few. Um, and the new weapons are creative. I like the one that's sort of a little whirlwind of blossom that goes round you. Yep. There's one that's basically just snowballs. Yep. I like the tanuki that has the the beads that fly round it. And the one that creates doppelgangers behind uh, it that freezes enemies. Uh, really nice characters, uh, all with that sort of interesting Japanese flavour, which just gives it, just gives the whole game style something different. Yeah. When you've got the Castlevania aesthetic with a lot of those sort of Italian, rural Italian references, having this entire Japanese themed gameplay and aesthetic is very good. I think mechanically and aesthetically, it does a decent job of making the DLC content feel distinct from the base game content. Yeah. It feels like it is like I I'm not there is no mistaking the fact I am playing the new stuff. Yeah. And it does that without fundamentally feeling like it's not vampire survivors. And I'm I'm very okay with this. Like it's it's not a hugely lengthy uh, amount of time to 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 see the new stuff. But it's a little dose of more things to do in a game that I didn't need more excuses to put more time into it. I've almost redone all of the unlocks in Vampire Survivors from scratch on mobile since the mobile board came out. Nice. I don't need another excuse to play more Vampire Survivors, but this was an excuse to do more of it. Yeah, and it's all good. And I, I yeah. should point out for the listener, um, I didn't write the bestie re-entries for the Moonspell DLC. Uh, those monsters were not written up by myself. It's basically a, a timing issue as to why I unfortunately uh couldn't be involved with moonspell my involvement with vampire survivors is not necessarily done though yeah but i don't deserve any of the credit for the the moonspell <laughs> ones i only did the base game bestiary and yeah might be doing uh some other stuff in future uh we we shall see uh but yeah can't take credit 
as someone who's done video game adjacent things before, sometimes it's just a case of this thing needs doing on exactly this day uh, for outside reasons. Yeah, that was more or less it. Video games move in weird ways because of all sorts of outside forces. Yeah, and it's funny because Ponsel was uh, kind of apologetic for that, and I'm like, you don't owe me a gig. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I understand. I, I never expected yeah. to do any more than I was sort of commissioned to do. But, like I say, there's this. I'm possibly not done and would love to return to doing some stuff yeah. for it. Uh, absolutely. But yeah, I just don't want people crediting me necessarily with work I didn't do because it's not fair. Yeah. Really, you know, I, I'm i proud enough of, of my stuff. I don't need praise for stuff I didn't do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, very good DLC. It is weird though. Like the best year he felt like my baby. So it's a, it's strange. It's not bad, but it's like, it's weird. But from what I've seen so far, like they carried on my style. Yeah. Uh, which is fun. So that's been fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to potentially doing more. Indeed. Uh, did anyone play anything else this week they want to talk about? I played more Potion Craft. Um, not much, but I do really, really like this uh, weird map game that, that I'm playing. There is a level of precision that you can perform uh, in manipulating the objects that I, I find very satisfying and just to sort of give a little more explanation as to how it works you're on a map and the post you have a, a potion icon that represents where you are on the map and you have uh, a selection of herbs each of these herbs will draw a path on the map in a specific pattern um, and there's a variety of different patterns uh, different distances and they are segmented Dropping the herb directly into the pot will take it to a, a point on the line that is an X. But using the mortar and pestle will progress that X further down the line to its final endpoint, which gives you control over how far you go down that path. But you can't just go directly, you have to use the path as created and figure out how you can use the forced length of reagents that you're going to be using along with extending it to create the path to the very center of an effect on the map that you're going to make a potion with. And then when you add in an element that just draws your icon back towards the center of the map, you can really get some interesting ways of controlling your positioning. You can literally drag that path by simply stopping your stir and your potion's progression along it for, uh, uh, you know, right in the middle of it, add some water and have the whole line track upwards in the direction of the center of the map to get around obstacles. Um, because there are these spaces in the map, if you touch them, your potion's destroyed, you wasted your reagents and you're sent back to the uh, middle of the map again the level of control is so satisfying you can just creep ever so slightly along that map and it really wants you to get to the very very middle dot of things because it's giving you such precision 
it, it is very satisfying. It's hard to play a lot of it once because it does move so slow, but fascinating and and something that I could pick up and play for, you know, an hour and then come back to another day and and it's just there. I don't feel like I've lost track of anything because all of the information I need to pick up where I left off is on the map um, or in the room next door. So, yeah, it I, I am enjoying Potion Craft. That's really all I have to say about it, though. Yeah. Uh, Steph, have you played anything else this week? Uh, yeah, I've played a fair bit, actually. I just remembered like the game I've been playing, the one that is most deserving of me talking about it, I actually didn't put on the pre-show list uh, to let you know, you know. Hmm. but uh, Focus Home Interactive had a game come out this week, oh. which always gets my attention. Yeah, um, basically, they're an indie game they're publishing. It's called Black Tail. It's a first-person sort of. It's not a first-person shooter. You you've got a bow and arrow. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like an action adventure, I guess. That's the best way to put it. It's based on Slavic folklore. Um, sort of a lot of um, a lot of the story revolves around, but not necessarily features Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in this forest. Uh, you are a girl who wears a mask because of a birthmark on her face that made all the villagers distrust her, and children have gone missing. And she got the blame and was protected by her sister, and her sister has gone missing now. So this character um, sets off into the forest to. Uh, find her and she's got a bow and arrow uh, that she uses uh, to like you can hunt deer and there are various monsters like gnolls and things just sort of very folklore types of monsters that you fight most of the game is sort of exploring and and uncovering the story what really makes it stand out is just how visually creative it is i'm sure a lot of it is based on folklore because it's a, like it's just mad and that's what folklore is it's just nonsense like wonderful nonsense for example if your inventory is full and you pick up you know other resources for like crafting arrows or stuff like that uh, they'll be kept in a bag that you can find at campfires the bag is a toad it's a burlap sack with a face and a mouth that croaks with little legs. And it's just brilliant. And like the, the, a lot of the NPCs are big mushrooms that have various themes to them. Uh, like one is a um, very chivalrous and it has two sort of fungus stalks coming out of it that are shaped like horse hooves. And it's got this sort of... Uh, basically like a big stuffed dummy on its head of a knight riding him like a horse. The art style is incredible, like just incredible. Um, I at least recommend like listeners, like look at a trailer or something because it's so creative. It's got moral choices in it that you actually have to suss out a little bit at first just to make sure you sort of know what the good choice and the evil choice is. The two obvious ones are there is an ant and a little lava that appear throughout the map. And the lava is good. If you help him, you get good points. If the ant, uh, if you help the ant, you get evil points. The lava is this little put upon low level worker for the underworld who gets into various administrative scrapes. 
and you help him out with advice or resources. The ant looks brilliant, has a crown, and her thorax is has load like a fan of swords embedded in it, like a peacock tail almost. And she's bent on world domination <laughs> and will ask you for the same sort of thing so that her ant hordes can take over the world. It's just a very charming game. It's let down by the fact that combat is shite. Bow and arrows are already can be a bit tricky in games, and there's no stealth, really. Uh, you can't sneak up on anything, and the game loves to ambush you with enemies that will sort of burrow up out the ground, like right in front of your face. And there is some snap aiming, but it's not very good, even if you put the, the, the assist up on it. Um, and drawing can be a bit slow. That's the biggest issue is is the uh, the feeling of being ambushed, and the fact that like your spells aren't very good. It's frustrated me a lot because the action is kind of inadequate, and it's one of them games like Soma or something that's better when it's not adhering to we are a game we must have action sensibilities. But despite it frustrating me a lot, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like, it's one of those games that just, when I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about it. Because it's just so creative. It's, it's world. It's got a great index as well. Like, it's got a bestiary and a write-up for everything. From every individual resource to monsters to important characters. Not only is it really good for filling out detail, it's kind of wittily written. Um, very cute. Uh, in terms of style and world building, this game is fantastic. Uh, it's let down a little by the sort of just the fact that it's kind of fiddly and annoying uh, to to fight and navigate. But it it's just another one of those focus games where it's like, yeah, it's janky, but it's so interesting. If you're like me, and focus is publishing something makes you pay attention to it then I would say maybe not necessarily just buy it offhand, but look at it and see if it interests you, because Blacktail is very interesting. I mean, I am I know I'm in that camp where the, the second you mentioned it was Focus, I was like, okay, I need to at the very least look at a trailer, because yeah. they're, they're more hits than misses for me in terms of their specific flavour of, of what, what, what they go for. Yeah. There's a dragon that's, that's mentioned. And it's sort of on the fence as to whether the dragon is real or not. And then you find it. And I was going to describe it, but that would be a spoiler. But the visual and, and the nature of what it is and how that's visually represented is brilliant. Genuinely brilliant. This game is full of things that make me look at them and think, that's just brilliant neat it just it's really it's really let down by the video game elements of the video game <laughs> but it's i'm still really glad i'm playing it like i am thrilled that i'm playing it even if i'm not thrilled by the game all the time because there's too much i'm looking at and i'm like that's just inspired so yeah that's that's been taking a lot of my attention it is at least worth checking out pictures and videos of because it i'm blown away by some of the visual design neat 
Uh, shall we do a couple of newsy bits before we wrap up? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Let's start with a let's start with a fun little story here. Are, are either of you aware that they're making like a pro version of the uh the 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 PlayStation Five controller in the vein of like the Xbox Elite controller that's been a thing for a few years? This is the first time explicitly hearing of it. Yet I am in no way shocked. Yeah, it, it, it's called the DualSense Edge, and it has like a bunch of a bunch of things like oh, it's got back paddles on the thing, and oh, it's got fancier d-pads you can swap all, all all the sort of fancy stuff you expect out of web charging you extra for a, for a high-end controller so now they've got a vibrating controller that they're calling edge i just want to make sure y- yeah no no you are you are correct yeah yeah cool cool so this controller costs uh 210 pounds here in the uk Youch. but that's not even the best part that's not even why i've put this on the docket this week it's got worse battery life than the, the the default controller. Well, sure, it's it's packed with more features. Why it needs to? <laughs> that's that's uh, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you're gonna be too busy working to pay for your DualSense Edge to have time to play the <laughs> video game. So you really only need like a one to two hour battery life before you immediately have to go to sleep and go back to the mines. We'll we'll get to this in a second, but this is like four times more expensive than a regular PS5 controller. Yeah. So this came from a hands-on preview where The Verge noticed that the battery life was noticeably worse than the base controller, uh, which was then later confirmed to them in a statement. I'm going to read you like the first bit and then the punchline. So the, the original bit of the statement is, uh, the DualSense Edge wireless controller's operating time is moderately shorter than the original DualSense wireless controller. We wanted to strike a good balance between wireless operating time and delivering robust high-performance features. So, like, you know, they're trying to sell it. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal. You're paying four times extra for a worse battery life controller. Here's the punchline. The statement to The Verge ended by reminding people that, I mean, you could just play with... You could just, you could just plug it in. You could just have it plugged in, like, all the time, your new expensive wireless controller. It apparently comes with a longer braided USB cable, presumably because of this. Mm. Additionally, the longer USB braided cable is also great for competitive players who may prefer playing with wired connections to avoid wireless interference, an option which preserves battery life. Hey, that, you know what? Turn it into a positive. I, I respect the hustle. Yep, yep. That's uh very unfortunate. I mean, I yeah, I almost exclu- personally, I almost exclusively use wired controllers now anyway, just because of reliability and and relative expense. Uh, I can I know how to run cable. It's fine, but um, that is crazy for for what is going to be a two hundred and fifty dollar controller. Yeah, you're going to be paying more for this one controller for your PS5 than I think you would be paying for a base Nintendo Switch today. It's half the price of the PS5. Yeah, you you could go buy a Switch for cheaper than this PS5 controller. Wild. Yeah, yeah. They really think that there isn't like a uh, an inflationary crisis going on, don't they? Like, they really, really think that they're going to be able to keep squeezing money from people like this. Yeah. It's amazing. So other other stories we uh we 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 got this week. 
how would you like your car to be a games console that only works when you're sat not having the car move? That is the only way I want my car to operate as a games console. Period. Yeah, you don't you don't want any ability for like the kids in the back seat to, to, to be playing games while you're driving. You want to just be sat in a stationary car with uh, your games up. Not only do I think that like the parking brake should be force enabled whenever a video game is being played in a car. I think that if someone starts a video game in the car. The parking brake should immediately engage <laughs> and swerve hard. Oh. Yeah, so the story here is that Teslas are getting an update so that you can play Steam for some reason that you can play your Steam games in a Tesla. Well, that's better than that's better than, you know, them publishing <laughs> Someone else's video games and not giving them anything for it. I mean, yeah. Like, it's easy enough to to hook up to the Steam API and, you know, negotiate with Valve to do Steam Link. They'll put Steam Link on anything. I discovered it's on it's on the TV in my living room, which is great, because my actual Steam Link device has been shoddy as hell lately. Yeah. We talked about this a while ago. When is it? What was it? Uh, her story yeah. that the uh, Sam Barlow was offered no money to put it in a Tesla. Yep. So I didn't realize, like, considering that th this car previously had no ability to play video games, I'm surprised to hear that apparently you can run Elden Ring on it. Why did this car have enough excess computing power sat around for Elden Ring? Oh, I no, I don't think, I don't, I knew, I don't think it's running Elden Ring. I think it's streaming Elden Ring. No, 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 no. It's running it. Nonsense. So here is the claim. Apparently... Any video game that will run on the Steam Deck will run at comparable settings on a Tesla. And having played it, Elden Ring will run at about 30 FPS uh, on low settings on a Steam Deck. Okay, okay. I will grant you that. But the car's doing nothing else. It's stationary. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, you know what? Yes, I, I actually, I do believe... That a Tesla can have as much computing power as a Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe, I believe the engineers at Tesla are capable of that much. Now, seeing how Teslas are catching fire, uh, the emergency door release is like behind a speaker panel, apparently. Yeah. Like, there's some other engineering problems that, that they have, but I believe they could put a Steam Deck scale computer into a car. Sure. Yeah. So if, if you want to sit in your parked car playing 30 <laughs> FPS Elden Ring, that, that is an option apparently available. Boy. <sighs> I would sure hate to be the guy responsible for that debacle. Oh, I bet that's going to be the worst, worst uh, debacle attached to his name right now. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, yeah. To attached to the name of that company right now. I mean, who are we, ta yeah. are we talking oh. about? The Ooh, it's bad. It's real uh. bad. Oh, Conrad, do you want to tell us about, about Activision and Bored Ape? Uh, this is just an interesting thing that's happening yeah yeah i mean i suppose yeah. i suppose it's interesting it is uh executive uh scuttling time i think all of the rats are are jumping off ships yeah uh in this case it's at activision's chief operating 
officer. Um, and I am trying to... Where did I put this fucking path? Uh, this is uh, Daniel Allegra? Yes. Yes. And he is leaving to go and be the CEO of Board Yacht Club. Or Board Ape Yacht, Board Ape Yacht Club, right? Is that what they're called? Yeah, board Board Yacht Club that is the Board Ape people, I think. The, the NFTs, the fucking apes. Yeah. He's going to run the NFT ape company. Are you suggesting a corporate CEO is just interested in money, as demonstrated by their move from one very uh, greed-over-people-obsessed company to another? Mayhaps. I mean, I th- that's that should be obvious, I think. But the, uh, yeah. no, the thing I actually, I want to sort of bring up here is this guy is going from an operations officer position at, I mean, they are at this point the biggest third party games publishing company in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think maybe 10 cents. Tencent owns a lot, but I don't think they're producing as much. Yeah. But that's that's the point, is that this guy has been running operations for that company. And he is now going on to a chief executive role um, at a very financially uh, wealthy, relatively speaking, uh, crypto company. Yes. And I think that that is something to watch. I, I I don't see a guy making a move like that with the relationships and experience that he has. Because don't get me wrong, executives move out of industries that have absolutely no relationship and into video games all the fucking time. And that goes back to, I mean, that, that goes back 40 years. Um, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. But I do think that there is something to somebody in this kind of games publishing position going to this kind of blockchain company that says that they think there's still hope for blockchain in games. Mm. And so I think it's worth keeping an eye out for whatever bullshit might come next. Because I do think that there is something to the idea that if... If if we could just keep this NFT shit on the down low, if we could just be quiet about it for a little while, maybe people will forget what a fucking scam it, it is at its heart, and we can pretend like we've fixed the problem and reintroduce these things. And to actually make something compelling using these features, and, or using the capabilities of the technology, and try to reach a mass audience should take some time. Truly, it should. We saw a lot of a waves of cheap, lazy efforts to enter the field, but I think everyone knows that if you're going to be serious about it, you're going to have to put in some investment in time, and a lot of these people are already in on their money, and the only way to get your money out yeah. is to get some other sucker to take it. So... The thing that concerns me is that this could dovetail nicely with the kind of development time it would take to make a compelling product and the amount of time for the public awareness and concern and doubt around NFTs to sort of fade a bit. I don't think it's going to be impossibly long before we get, like, 
the very specific flavor of NFTs trying to make a big push into video games, I feel like it's going to be something like... How do I put this? If Peter Molyneux had made Goddess and tried to sell someone as being the god of gods and goddess today, an NFT would definitely have been the thing that conferred Absolutely. you... Yeah, this is how we determine you are the person. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of thing someone's going to try and do, is someone's going to try and do interesting concept that is easy to pitch as a headline that just so happens to quietly be you get an NFT that makes that happen. See, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I think I think there's enough understanding out there of them that they need to they need to make it a show of having fixed the problem um when it comes back mm. you know now it's not helped when certain uh certain grifters here in the united states realize that oh you know what maybe my my boomer age uh constituents haven't heard or understood any of this technological shit and we can still soak them um and that's going to yeah. keep the grift in the limelight for a little bit longer but um yeah i think i think there is a possibility that we will i oh i mean i think i think they're gonna try again oh undoubtedly you know but i i think that if it's going to work this is a path to making that work yeah uh, so that is that story. Um, we got, I think, one more sort of like, uh, oh no, we just, we just got kind of, okay, we got one more and then it's just going to be kind of silly stories to finish this out. I mean, not much to say about this. Do you remember Chocobo Racing GP mm -hmm. releasing earlier this year? Yeah. The, the definitely not Mario Kart? Yeah, so that game's, that game's already dead. Oh. Oh. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it's not going to be like unplayable. It has local content, but um, already they'd been doing seasons where it's like, hey, like do online competitions and win prizes and have like online rankings. And like this was a big part of what the game was built on. Yeah, all of that is ending uh, literally today. Today is when they announced it and today it's ending. And also you won't be able to buy any of the in-game currency anymore starting today for buying any of the in-game uh, things that you could buy with real money. That that just stops today. Wow. Those things that could be earned with real money will be able to be obtained now without spending real money, which I guess is good because there is no, there is no way to spend real money on them anymore. Yeah, apparently for the people who have been playing this, this came out of fucking nowhere. Like the ju just on the day announcement, yeah, three p three p.m. Japanese time today. It's just stopping. Wow. And there's no real explanation as to why. I'm reading the press release. It is not going to be possible to get a refund for your purchased Mithril, the in-game currency. So be sure to spend it before it expires. Three p.m. Japan today. Wow. Yeah. So that's I don't know what the fuck to make of that, and I'm sure in the I'm maybe in the next week we'll learn something about what the fuck's just happened there. But let's 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 finish off on a couple of a couple well, of. I, there is there is one other thing that's a little more. It's it's still silly. Don't get me wrong, but I did, uh, and I don't know if you spotted it in there. Yeah. Relating to the Microsoft acquisition. Oh yes, sorry, I completely forgot this was in here. Yes. Yeah. This. 
This is interesting. Mm. Uh, there has been a new lawsuit filed. We talked last week about the FTC filing suit uh, against Microsoft in this. Uh, yeah. But now uh, gamers, gamers are throwing their hat in the <sighs> ring. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Look, I don't know what gamers. They they are they have described themselves as video gamers within the case as the plaintiffs. Yeah, I so here's the thing. I've read some thoughts from some people who know more about legal stuff than I do about this. The the general consensus I'm seeing seems to be this is a class action lawsuit in all but name. Yes. From a bunch of people who are hoping for a cash payout. They are hoping that it's not worth Microsoft's time to fight it and that they will just get some cash thrown at them to get out of the way. Get your bag. Yeah. yeah I, I, get your bag. Good for you. If I had known about the Clayton Antitrust Act of 1914, I might have filed a suit against Microsoft too. I don't, yeah, I don't, th this is not one of those situations where I expect that the people engaged in this filing, uh, there are 10 of them, are you know, in any position to stick it to Microsoft's, you know, multi-million dollar team of lawyers. That is fucking absurd. No. This is silly and fun. I like that they're doing it. I think they do probably have a case that may have merit, but yeah, you're right. They're going to get a settlement Um, if there's anything that happens here at all, because otherwise it's just going to sit and drag throughout uh, the court proceeding until such time as Microsoft convinces a judge to dismiss it. Because that is that is ultimately what will happen. Yeah. Th their argument is going to boil down to my gaming experience is going to be worse because you're taking stuff aw away and walling stuff off. Give me some money to say sorry because I asked you. That's what it's going to boil down to. Give me some money because I'm going to have a worse gaming experience. Oh, well, no, I mean, no, that... Not, not really, no. I mean, not, not in court, but that's, that's, like, that's what it's gonna boil down to. Give, give me some, I'm sorry that games are worse for your money. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is complicated. I, I don't think it is outside of the possibility, because I haven't fully read the act yet. But it is, in this case, the, the purpose of this act that they're filing under is to prevent companies from being able to perform anti-competitive practices. Yeah. So now, while ultimately, yes, the reality is that they are going to get a payday in theory if they get anything. No, in in court, they're going to have to say that the that what they want is for the merger to not go through, and they're going to have to say that that's what they're fighting for, because that's what this seems to be. That's what this is. Well, yeah, but you know what? Fine, because that that is a that that's what it's for, and it should be stopped on that basis. Like I, I think this yeah. is a perfectly valid application of this that will, unfortunately, because of the legal system's uh, deference to capital, yeah, either through um, uh, strong arm or other tactic, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. But good for these people for uh, standing up. And uh, uh, doing that one way or another, I, I hope you get something out of it. Yeah. Unless you plan to give it to a Republican, in which case, fuck you. <laughs> right, we've got a couple of other uh, stories. Um, I didn't know about this until it had already happened. 
the developers of Goat Simulator have had to take down a trailer for Goat Simulator 3 because Take 2 was issued a takedown notice because it used leaked GTA 6 footage from that big uh, big batch of leaked footage that went around. You'd have to know that this was going to happen. Yeah. And props to Goat Sim 3. I would not be talking about Goat Sim 3 if they hadn't gotten their footage taken down or their video taken down because of the leaked footage. Yeah, they have they have 100% achieved the thing they were aiming for. It's been a while since companies have been this willing to go like we're going to piss off another big company just to get some promotion in this kind of way. I feel like this used to be more of a like in the 90s you used to get more of this. Yeah, but this is also a more novel approach. Like this is using the legal system and the culture to generate the hype. It's this isn't a matter of, you know, uh Sega does what Nintendo don't. This is a a background manipulation that is is much more savvy and and I uh, I appreciate it. I re- <laughs> yeah. I hate it. I fucking hate it cuz it's awful. But yeah. So I I will say at the very least, I appreciate them putting some effort into thinking about a context to justify doing it. The short version, the the trailer was a narrative about an NPC um showing off ragdolling tech that like was being interviewed about their their being an NPC in Goat Simulator. Uh, only to be like, oh yeah, no, no, I've got other projects in the pipeline, other big game worlds. You can actually see me in some footage that was leaked a couple of months ago as an excuse to then throw over to the GTA 6 footage. And I'm like, you put some thought in, and I'll give you that. You you thought you had a plan and someone actually put the effort into how do I do something with this idea. Oh, you know what the next logical extension of this sort of thing is, though? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a countersuit for the takedown. Uh, on the basis of fair use, because they were commenting on the footage and their marketing is art. Yeah. And so <laughs> this, I don't, I'm not, I, I, I'm not one to, you know, I don't like slippery slope arguments, but I can see where the road might lead. Uh, <laughs> and that is bleak. Yeah. I got one last story and I'm really hoping I've managed to, that neither of you have caught this yet. I I don't know if you're aware of this, Laura, but I uh, co-host a podcast called Let's Talk About Snacks. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, but I have been alerted. Yeah, no. Um, Steph, I don't know if you're aware of this. Are you aware of uh, the, the energy drink brand G Fuel? I know the name. They, they make sort of like powdered energy drinks where you just do a scoop in and put water in, like, there's your caffeine drink. I don't touch the powdered shit no you don't you don't need to my you the you're you're aware of the concept there's a partnership is what we're getting at here now and i i I am keen to have steph guess at who at what the partnership is with with you know like a little bit of a clue okay yeah because that's what i'm trying to work out is what clue do we give steph that isn't gonna give this away give it i think we can say the um the the parent company that owns the franchise. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, as a as a solid clue, it is. It is. Yes, it's a partnership with a popular gaming franchise owned by Microsoft for this energy drink powder. Uh, so this this character is prominently placed on the packaging, going, "Hey, this character, energy drink." Oh. 
you see, you know the link that you put in the uh, pre-show chat that you told me not to click on? Yeah. Uh, the, the one that I said, the one that I said not to click on, yeah. It had conquer in the URL. Is it conquer? Good detective work. It also had poo in the URL. Is it the poo from Conquer? Look, I knew I shouldn't have put it in the docket, but also I was going to lose the link if I didn't. You got it. You got a tiny URL. Those ones that are sus. Yeah, that's that's on me. That's on me. Tell us about the poo. Uh, yeah. So, um, great mighty poo, G fuel energy powder. It's coming. Now, now, if you haven't clicked on this link. Could you guess at a flavor? <laughs> chocolate. It's not chocolate. <laughs> uh, passion fruit and guava. Think about the fight with the great and mighty poo. I never got that far in that game because it's not actually a very good game. I've seen the great and mighty poo. Like, I've seen video of it. I can't tell you how the fight goes now. It's been a while. Well, I'm just going to let you know. Um, it, It's sweet corn flavor. Excellent. Excellent. It's <laughs> sweet corn flavor. It, it it comes it comes with a toy ship. It comes with a happy arms up in the air, very excited toy ship with your sweet corn flavored poo energy drink. This isn't out for like three months, but there's a tiny bit of me that's like, could I reach out to them and get me to send me some? Because I've not I've not done food and drink adjacent video game content reviews on this show in a while and i feel like a taste test needs to happen uh it's uh it's horrifying it's horrifying and i i can't i can't stop thinking about the fact it exists i can't unknow it i swear i was sent a link of someone like talking about what it tastes like and now I can't find it, and it's going to haunt me. So if you want thoughts on that, listen to Let's Talk About Snacks wherever podcasts are found, because it's yeah, it's it's on our list to talk about as first episode next year. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look forward to tropical corn soda. Yeah. Tropical is not a word that this deserves. It has not earned tropical. They also have, but they have a whole um, gaming Microsoft partnership thing going on. They also have a Battletoads. Oh yeah, Zitz Juice. Zitz Juice. Yeah. Yeah. They have a whole bunch of these. After varying, varying things, um, they they got they got one themed after the Twitch streamer Ninja. If you want an energy drink that hates women, I saw someone on the uh, Game Awards claiming to be Ninja, but they did not have blue hair, so they could not have been Ninja. Well, of course, right? I don't know who that imposter was, but it wasn't Ninja. <laughs> that man can never be allowed to forget his hair. I want this to be clear, okay? Because it's all fun now. But he needs to remember what he looked like 30 years from now. In fact, we ought to make him have the hair again 30 years from now. Because when I think about having the hair I had at his age now, oh, oh, the shame, the shame. But if you get that famous on the back of that hair so much that it becomes your brand identity, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. you never get to leave it. That's yours forever. God, his hair is terrible. Uh, so that's I think that's it We did it We're done Excellent We've we done it We've done it for This one The Christmas special 
which mentioned Christmas a little bit in like the first two minutes and then moved on for business as usual, which in a capitalist society is the most Christmas thing of all. Working through the holidays. Laura, <laughs> you said you're not working through the holidays, but I'm sure there's work that people can check out. There is indeed. You can go check out my work at Laura K. Buzz in all of the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that, that pays the bills. I mean, the big the, the big one coming up is going to be uh, February 16th is when Who Hunts the Whale finally releases. It's uh, It's gone to the printers. We're going to be signing a bunch of them soon. It is a satirical novel set in a fictional video game development studio that definitely isn't a pastiche of all the companies we talk about here on this show. It definitely at some point in, in development wasn't called Electronic Actor Softworks. Go go look out for that. Go, you can pre-order it. Get a signed copy if you want. I'm very proud of that book that I wrote with my wife. Just Laura K. Buzz. Go find me in all the places. Go go find me doing stuff. Patreon's the one that pays the bills. If you can chuck a dollar a month over there, it lets me do the thing that I do. Conrad, what about you? Oh, well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com. Uh, and audiobooks at conradreads.com. Uh, check out my cat Tater on Instagram at One-Eyed Potato. He's real, 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 real cute. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. Uh, and uh, see here. Oh, you know who else has a Patreon, Laura? Oh, I've got a guess. It's James Stephanie Sterling. Yeah, it's uh, patreon.com slash jimquisition. Um, that's you know, pays all the main stuff that we do. Uh, I also stream. It's been a very reduced schedule lately just to a number of sort of real life things getting in the way, but I stream at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. You... Oh, I, I guess I'll give the current confirmed wrestling dates. One more for the end of the year, December 30th uh, in Sheffield at the same facility we host Spectrum. Uh, that is uh, for True Grit Wrestling. I will be teaming up with Priscilla, Queen of the Ring again as Queens of the Space Age. Uh, we'll be taking on um, one of my long-running nemeses, uh, Nathan Black, and the terrifying Jack Maxwell. Uh, that's going to be a very good match, and that will be my last match of the year. Then on February 5th, I will be in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling, taking on Shreddy. Um, very, very exciting show, that one, top to bottom. Then March the 17th and 18th, I will be in Blackpool at the Flamingos venue once again um, for PCW, where I will be taking part in their weekend-long tournament, uh, the Road to Glory, uh, in the women's division. Uh, so that will be my first ever sort of official women's match, um, which is very interesting and exciting. Looking forward to that. Uh, I'm sure I will have more dates for you uh, as time goes on, but those are the three current conf confirmations. Other than that, thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, which will... We've got one more before the end of the year, so we'll do our usual yearly wrap-up, I'm sure. Uh, we will see you then. Thank you for the support and everything, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.